They're speakers, authors, and real-life rock stars, bringing you life-changing thoughts that rock. Taking conversation all the way to 11. Most shows only go to 10. Well, it's one louder, isn't it? These go to 11. To 11. This is Thoughts That Rock. Now, here are your hosts, Jim Knight and Brant Menzoir. the Mississippi and down south and in central Florida specifically west of Winter Garden <laughs> just to be specific it's getting a little too specific <laughs> we're the only ones Welcome, everybody it's thoughts that rock podcast about exchanging two pieces of life-changing advice squeezed into about 30 minutes yeah and this episode is sponsored by our parent company certified rockstar mm-hmm. which is our fully customized leadership training program where we have a couple things we got a half day yep. a full day, full day a virtual version virtual. you can find out all of that information if you want to bring us out check us out certifiedrockstar.com yeah thoughts that rock helps support cannonball kids cancer and mm-hmm. their fight for finding and funding treatment options for kids who've run out of options they are incredible please go check them out cannonballkidscancer.org and listen if you like the show yeah we, we need you to do something what you got to take a moment to give us a five-star rating Kinda and a busy. written review kind of busy i know you are but there's a reason why okay one it, it helps me feel better about myself but two oh. those few words that you can put in that review actually gets eyeballs on the show mm. we can grow the show because we actually want to help support cannibal kids just a little bit more so do us a favor just go and check us out whether it's in you know apple podcast or Podbean or whatever it is that you're listening to the show Podbean. On. Podbean. one of our favorites yes listen we also know how busy you are and grabbing those little nuggets of wisdom that could just make your life a little bit better they're yep. hard to come by we totally True. understand that mm-hmm. which honestly Honestly, it doesn't even matter what you're doing right now. Nope. You could be, I don't know, stealing a marble rye. Yeah. Ooh, that's good. Maybe you're writing a Dear John letter. Dear John. Maybe you're whittling an image of Don King from a stick. Doesn't matter to us. We just want to be the half hour you've been looking forward to all week. Let's do it. Boom, boom. 
Our guest today is Renaud Vanderreet, who is the founder and president of Love Made Visible. It's also the founder and owner of Oxum Coffee, where Brant, you and I have spent a lot Many of time. Times. And he's also the lead pastor for Mosaic Church, which we're going to talk about. But first and foremost, Renaud, welcome to Thoughts That Rock. Thanks, guys. Great to be with you guys. Really, really is. Same here. We've been hoping to do this, and I know it's probably taken us about six or seven months to uh, to, to sort of get us all in yeah. the same space, even though we're all right here in, in uh, Winter Garden. Uh, again, most of our listeners know we're in Central Florida, but Winter Garden's west of Orlando. And one of the rare cases, we have a guest that's sort of in the same area, so we love that. And we'll obviously have Renault's full bio posted in the show notes, but just a, a few, I think, cool highlights. You know, first off, if you can't tell already, you will, that he uh, he grew up in South Africa. So he's got that awesome accent that we're going to be listening to today. In uh, 2002, <laughs> he uh, founded with his wife Mosaic Church here in Winter Garden, which was one of the top 10 fastest growing churches in America in 2018. It's amazing. Amazing. Um, and that church has really become a, a nationwide pacemaker, I think, for fostering and adoption and really a sought-after model for how ministries can respond to childhood special needs and trauma care. So love to probably talk a little bit more about that. In 2009, he started Love Made Visible, which is really a nonprofit organization that equips families and individuals and churches and, and agencies to care for orphans and vulnerable children around the world. In uh, 2010, he founded Oxum Coffee, which is named after Oxum Ethiopia. We can talk about that coffee company. He's got several locations here. This is what I love, and I wrote about Oxum in my book, Culture That Rocks. 100% of the proceeds goes back to some sort of a philanthropic cause, usually social justice causes, and just absolutely was blown away, I think, you know, probably by that, that business itself. And uh, again, just love to spend some time talking about it. I wrote a third of the book there and Brant and I are probably going to Oxum later on today. We do yes, that every we single are. week after the show. So, <laughs> you know, just so many things that we can talk about in Renault's life, but, uh, you know, we do things differently here and we're not doing a huge, long traditional interview style. We like to get right to the meat and potatoes of what our audience is looking for, which is awesome pieces of advice. So Renault, we're going to leave it open to you. The, the floor is open, my friend. What is your thought that rocks? Thoughts that rock. Number one. Well, it's a great question. I thought a lot about it, and it came down to one thing for me. Um, a couple of years ago, well, now more than a couple, when I was in my mid-30s, I had the opportunity to sit with a gentleman in his 70s then uh, who was a consultant. And I kind of said to him in my mid-30s, here's where I'm at in life. What would you do with my life over the next 30 years if you could do anything? And he said to me, Renault, make sure that between now and 50, you spend more time living your life well than working at trying to build influence and platforms to say good things. Mm -hmm. Because then when you get to be 50 and you've been a great husband and you've been a great dad and you've been a good pastor and you've been a good businessman and you've done these things, then you'll have something to say that's worthwhile. But if you try and work your tail off to develop influence and platforms and voice now at 35 you'll say a bunch of naive stupid crap yeah. that nobody's going to care about <laughs> yeah. and they'll all know yep there's the young and talking again and by the time you're 50 you will have spent so much time doing that that you will have not lived your life well and so uh, a lot came out of that statement that we unpacked from there that has literally changed 
the way I look at life, think about life and live life from an intentional standpoint. But that was a profound piece of advice for yeah. me. Spend your time living your life well rather than building platforms and influence well. And you'll have plenty of platform and influence in your future. Love that. Love it. Yeah, I do too. It's it's something that and, – and my guess is – in, in the very nature of, of how you live your life, you know, it's, it's this, it's a dangerous thing when, when you are in the position that you are of, of influence now, because you've lived your life well. Uh, and now you've got, you know, as, as the pastor of one of the fastest growing churches in the country, um, I think that from the outside looking in, oftentimes people, they, they, they ask why it's growing that fast. And sometimes it's because of the glitz and the razzle dazzle yep. and yep. the look at our 60 foot LED wall. Um, and it is um, rarely do you hear about the substance and yeah. is, is the church growing because there's substance to what's happening. And that's what I love about your story is that um, you don't need to see the razzle. The razzle dazzle is a byproduct of living your life well. And I think that that is is that sort of was was that your approach even in the growth of the church? Yeah, I, I mean, a hundred percent. I think even in the journey of the church itself, or, or the coffee shop business, or or the nonprofit, you know, it it it, it tracked even further back for me. Uh, it came down to for me as a starting point coming out of that piece of advice, asking the question in each stage of my life. So I started thinking about life in decades instead of in years mm -hmm. uh, because I've got, you know, I've got approximately seven or eight decades of life, yeah. maybe nine, but you know, the ninth decade, you're really chilling at that point. <laughs> yeah. um, and so uh, if you look at that and your first two decades, you're just growing up. So they don't really count in terms of intentional life living. Yeah. So uh, that, that leaves me five decades and two of those decades, I'm going to have kids in my house. Yeah. And everything else I do in life, I discovered as I thought about it, that I can have do-overs and do-overs and do-overs. So if I start a business and it fails, I can do it again and do it again and do it again until it doesn't. Yeah. If I start a church and it fails, et cetera, et cetera. But my kids, I get two decades with them. Yeah. And whatever I do in those two decades, I do. And yeah. I don't get a do-over on that. So for me, the Mosaic story started with me saying – I've got to be the husband that I want to be and the father I want to be first and foremost, which means that sounds you know romantic and wonderful. Mm -hmm. But what that means is that my workplace will pay a price. I'm not going to give 60, yep. 70, 80 hours a week to my workplace. I'm not going to be driven by the demands of ministry so that my family constantly hears me say, well, guys, this is important. I got to go. Sorry, well, I've got to be on this phone call. Or I'm going to make sure that I'm pressing into family. So what that then meant was it recalibrated for me where I find my significance, which obviously for me comes first and foremost through the discovery of my redemption by this God that redeemed me and loves me because he does, not because I've earned it. Right. And so coming out of that then saying, okay, the next round is be a great husband, be a great dad. Not perfect. I mean, I suck at it half the time, but be be present, be available, uh, do your best there, and then let the church be born out of whatever time you have left after you've given your energy and time, your emotional energy and time to your family. So I say that to say much of what's happened at Mosaic, I think, 
has happened because what comes off the stage and what comes out of the conversations in the lobby is this, what we're talking about now. So people start going, this place uh, is a place that is secondary to living life well, yeah. because to make the gospel beautiful, we live life well. We don't do a job well. A job is one piece of this life we live. So I, I do really think that Mosaic was born in its journey of growing out of this sense of we're here, all of us, to live life intentionally and beautifully for the gospel, to be on mission. And then if the church grows, the church grows. And if it doesn't grow, it doesn't grow. Like I, I literally came to a point in my life where I'm like, I just don't really care if it grows or not. I care that what we do is real. Yeah. And if what we do is real and what we share from the stage is is the real story of the Bible and the real story of the gospel and people don't like that, that's okay. Then they don't have to come. Yeah. Uh, what I want to do is I want to lay down on my deathbed and go, what I did was authentic and what I did was real. And I didn't do it because I was trying to figure out what people would like so that they will come and stay. Yeah. And so Mosaic was born out of that and it happened to grow. So, okay, now I have a giant church that we're shepherding. And it's for me, it's that, okay, well, now we have a big one. So I guess now we learn to do the big one. If we had a small one, then I guess we learn to do the small one. Yeah. And so, and yeah, yet, because of that, because of that mindset, I mean, it is, I wouldn't say it's just naturally grown. I just think that that's the byproduct that, in fact, without you focusing on that being the influence, you, in fact, have become way more influential. And again, our audience knows this. You may not know this, Renaud, but Brand's background also is as a pastor. He pastored a church over in Brevard County. And, you know, you guys could, could both probably talk to this, but in an era, I guess, where there's so many stories of preachers, right, who... And this is of all faiths, but I think lately more with these non-denominational mega churches, which I, I consider yours to be, you know, where the lead pastor maybe has gotten so wrapped up, like you said, Brant, in the glitz and the glamour, right? They get wrapped up in the platform and TV shows and video and social media and whatever. The, the drive for them is to play in that space and to extend their voice that way versus taking Renault's approach, right? To extend the flock, so to speak. That you know, and for whatever reason, they become disconnected with the congregation, or you know, the deep relationships. I think that that Renaud talks about, you know, how, and I'm speaking really to both you guys. How do you prevent that from happening? Part of it is this mindset, which, by the way, I love thinking about life in decades. I think that's brilliant. I think that's a really smart way. That again, everybody could use that advice, regardless of whatever you're doing. How do you sort of prevent? The, this this group, the congregation, from being so disconnected from perhaps once you get to whatever that level is, that it becomes bigger than what you intended the church to ultimately be when you started. So I don't know. I'll, I'll throw it over to Renault first, but yeah. I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts too, Brian, on it, because both of you guys have lived in that space. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a great question. And I think ultimately uh, my conclusion in terms of that disconnect is, Again, kind of what we started with at Mosaic, if our drive there is to circle up, if you will, to be able to stir each other up toward love and good deeds, which is what the book of Hebrews in chapter 10 says, you know, uh, do not neglect gathering together, but stir each other up toward love and good deeds. If, if that is the journey, we are here so that we can be a people that better love our community, better care for the unredeemed spaces in our community, better engage in the places that need us, whether that be in caring for 
vulnerable children or stepping into the issues of poverty or jumping into racial reconciliation issues, no matter how controversial, difficult or challenging they may be, uh, then your people are constantly gathering up with this next like, okay, what does the gospel compel us into next? And, and, and so you can't be a part of a church that is constantly obsessed with going out and redeeming unredeemed spaces mm-hmm. and, and, and not be involved in that drive uh, because the nature of the very messaging from the church isn't you're here to get something you want. It's you're here to be stirred up to go do something on behalf of the gospel. Yeah. So for us, that became the answer. Like we're not here so we can all sit around and sing Kumbaya, have a nice donut and feel good about ourselves <laughs> yeah. and leave and have our better life right now here. We're here actually because we're on mission. Yeah. yeah, And we are gathered up because the mission is complicated and hard and exhausting. And we need to gather up every week to regroup so we can go, okay, guys, come on, stay with it. Be good spouses, be good friends, be good children and parents, not because you have to, but because you're compelled to by the gospel. And yeah. yes, it's hard. Be a good neighbor, care for your stuff, put yourself out there. Um, I mean, it, you know, we talked about adoption, foster care. Uh, you know, we have hundreds of children adopted into forever homes in our yeah. church and hundreds of children being fostered uh, all the time. And it's super complicated and lots of trauma and marriages on the brink of disaster, uh, families scattered and shattered. I mean, I walked it myself. We have eight kids, four adopted, four biological. And I mean, it was a hellish ride for a number of years for all 10 of us. But at our church, we're like, yeah, but that's what we get to do. And then we support each other to survive this mission, kind of like a little group of Navy SEALs rolling out. And it's, I mean, you, you, you don't think you're going to some place where you're going to sit and drink margaritas. You, you're going to some place where you're going to get shot at. Yeah. But you know that if you get shot, your buddies will pick you up and drag you off the battlefield because that's what we do. I will and say so that you, and by the way, all of this that you're talking about, you are very, um, I, I noticed this on your your Facebook page. I noticed this on your website. You do lean into anything that's going on from a community standpoint that I just threw that out there. I didn't mean to interrupt, but these are things that you don't just talk about because it's a, it's a prepackaged sermon. You literally are out there talking about anything that might be somewhat controversial on some of these things that are super, super hard, like you talked about. So keep going. Sorry about that. Yeah, no. And, and, you know, to, to that, to that point, to that end, I think that's what, then stirs this group of people that gather that we call the church to kind of say we're not here to to get something or to gather up or or to to be disconnected essentially my thought was always you know braveheart's one of my favorite movies (laughs) and there's that scene in braveheart where he's riding the horse back and forth you know and they all have these little pitchforks and they're about to face this army that's trained and they know they're going to die. I mean, it's it's obvious. Like, this is crazy. Don't go in. It's over. <laughs> and, of course, Braveheart does the speech like, uh, you know, I don't want to die. We could we could die in our beds years from now, but we won't have freedom. And then what does he do, right? He just goes. Yes. And I love that scene where the two guys look at each other like, what do we, what do, we do? And the only conclusion is, well, I guess we go. Yeah. <laughs> and then they charge. And then the whole crowd charges and an entire historical event takes place that affects freedom. And I think as a leader, that's kind of where my mindset has always been. How dare I ask anyone in our congregation to charge into something complex unless I have jumped on the horse and charged in first? It doesn't mean I've done everything everyone's doing, 
but it means I live missionally and unafraid of complicated spaces. And then when I am, then I can say, as Paul would say in the Bible, follow me as I follow Christ. Like, go, go, go look at the way I try to love my wife or I try to parent my children. Again, not perfectly, like not a brochure, like in the mess. Like, here it is. This is my home. It's messy. It's crazy. I shout at my kids half the time when I shouldn't, and they shout at me. Like, my wife and I, some days we love each other, and some days we want nothing to do with each other. Uh, it, it is it is not a, oh, my gosh, I'm a great husband. It's that I'm – that's that's a priority. And so in each of these spaces, when I am willing to say my job as a pastor isn't to create a brochure, a platform, uh, a brand – my job is to live my life with the gospel in front of me and, and the glory of Christ and the expansion of his kingdom, which is life, light, and freedom as my pursuit. Then the people that follow me, that's what they're going to do. And so for me, whether two people follow me or 4,000 people follow me is, is somewhat of an irrelevancy. Yeah. What's relevant to me is what are they following me into? And so I want to get on the horse and say we can die in our beds years from now, comfortable, but still not free. Or we can go do something in this world, because when we leave this world, that's when we're going to realize freedom fully anyways. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's kind of how it rolls. I love how the South African is doing a Scottish reference under that. Brant, what do you it. think? Uh, you know, Reno, for me, I started, uh, so I started in the Christian market as a musician and, and, you know, my band uh, was was fortunate enough to sort of sign that big record deal, and we toured with the likes of you know the Third Days and the Toby Max and the Jars of Clay's and yep. and all those great bands, and and had a chance to really play churches all over the world from whether it's you know Willow Creek or it's Rick Warren or it's Hillsong yep. in Australia or wherever wherever it was, had a chance to see church done really well had a church uh, a chance to see church done really poorly and sort yep. of everything in between and and when i came back and and sort of decided what was going to be that next thing for me that next chapter of my life um the church i was looking for uh, didn't exist where i lived and so you know we decided we would start one <laughs> yeah. and and, yep. and very much in the same light of this is, you know, who's the lead pastor? Jesus is the lead pastor. <laughs> and, and anything yep. below that is, is whatever needs to be done today. And, uh, and so if I'm the, if I'm the pastor of taking out the garbage, I'm the pastor of taking out the garbage. And, <laughs> and that's just the way it is. Yep. Yep. And the difficult thing that, that I think we find ourselves, at least um, in my experience, is we're in a culture where you know, I, somebody comes in and they, you know, my 18 month old, um, you don't have any flat screens in the nursery <laughs> um, or, or it's what's the curriculum for the under two year olds. Yeah. And I'm like, um, yeah. how about not dying? Because that's, yeah. that's the curriculum is making sure that they're fed and they're taken care of um, and they're loved on. Um, but, but we have this almost, uh, unreasonable expectation. I think that, that some people come in expecting because of the success that a church might have had. And, and yeah. I, I look at that and love how you've sort of built this out of focusing on living a good life. I would always say, if you show up on Sunday, um, on anything less than empty, shame on you. 
you know, that you, your job is to go out and love and live that good life. And, and if you're doing it, you should come here exhausted and, and we yeah. should be able to celebrate that together, that look at what we're doing. We're, we're really being the hands and feet. We're not just talking about it. We're not just, you know, uh, building this platform to influence the, the, the community of which we live in. Um, and, and I, I think that going back to this idea of spending more time living your life well, uh, people sort of come and expect that the church is where they're going to be fed. And, and, yeah. and part of that to me says, I, I understand that expectation, but if this is the only place you're being fed, we have a problem. And, and that other part comes from living your life well. It comes from volunteering to coach your kid's soccer team. It comes from going to school and participating uh, in your kid's classroom. It yeah. comes from doing all of those things that when people go, gosh, that person's a really great person. They're always there. They're always reliable. You can always count on them to lend a hand. And then they find out that you follow Jesus well, gosh, now you've got something to talk about. <laughs> yep. But until yep. you earn that right, how about just shut up and live a good life and, and, and don't, don't be one of these people who are professing, 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 and then behind the scenes, um, it's a completely different story. And that's where we start to see things fall apart. So how have you been able to, I mean, it's one thing when you have a church of you know, a 50 or a hundred or 500. It's another thing when they get into the thousands, mm -hmm. how do you, how do you keep that going with so many people coming in now? Um, maybe with these unrealistic expectations. Sure. It's a great question. And I think for, for us, what it boiled down to is that I cannot control what people think or expect when they walk in the door what I can control is why we're doing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And so whatever your perception may be coming in on why we're doing what we're doing, if if my reasoning is off, then eventually that leads down a path where I will be living in a version of, of lack of authenticity. And so uh, what I mean by that is, is this. Uh, we at Mosaic, for example, um, you know, uh, we have people in the parking lot that are greeting you and we have an amazing uh, hospitality team that care for you greatly. And we have donuts and coffee, of course, during COVID slightly, not so much, but <laughs> hopefully soon again. Um, and, and we have an amazing children's space for your children where all the safety protocols are in place and everyone's background checked and we have flat screens on the walls yeah. and we have great curriculum. We have all of that. But the reason we have all of that, the reason we have a coffee bar and give you a cup of coffee free is not because we're trying to impress you or keep you. It's because we have determined that coming in from a long week, these things uh, are incredibly refreshing and comforting, and the gospel is incredibly refreshing and comforting, and we want to make the gospel beautiful. Now, the reason that's important, it sounds like a nothing uh, in terms of the reasoning, because it, it ends up in the same. If I'm trying to essentially get the client, keep the client, or make the gospel beautiful, they look almost identical. But the reason that that's so different is sometimes making the gospel beautiful is preaching really hard things or saying really hard things to you that will cause you to go, I don't want to be here anymore, because yeah. that's, that's really hard. And so if my motive is uh, get the client, keep the client – then no matter what I do in church, it's always going to be based on what the client wants. The gospel, by definition, sometimes gives us more than we could imagine we want and sometimes asks more of us than we can imagine. And so because both have to be in play, 
we are going to have the, to the best of our abilities, an experience that is unbelievable, but we're doing it because it's part of what the gospel does for you. But we're also going to call you to very hard things. And we're doing that because it's what the gospel does for you. Mm. And so that, that's what we control. You come in and you're ticked off because there's no flat screen. I can't control that. Yeah. Or you come in and you stay because there's a flat screen. I can't control that. Yeah. Why you are sitting in this, this church, I cannot control. What I can control is that if you sit here long enough, what you're going to hear, hear week after week after week is – we are not here for ourselves. We're here for the glory of Christ. So let's go be redemptive on his behalf. And you'll grow tired of constantly feeling like you're a consumer and everybody yeah. else isn't. Yeah. And you'll go somewhere else. Yeah. Or you'll stop being a consumer and start going, I want in. I want in, which is actually what we found. Yeah. More people than not eventually at Mosaic, even though when they first come in, I think it's because they hear about all the cool stuff we have. When, they, when they've been there long enough, most people are like, oh my gosh, I had no idea there was this adventure that I'm invited to be part of, and, and I want in. And we go, it's super hard, FYI, but, yeah. but it's gonna, it, it, is, it is an awesome adventure. And by that time, they're like, no, no, that's okay. Then it's is really hard, and they go, oh, you meant like really hard. Yeah. And then we're like, yep, now you need community to keep you from dying. And then suddenly, community becomes a priority because community isn't something that's a side note. It's something you need to survive. And so it, so, you know, so it unravels. So all that to say, I can control why we do things and I can control what we do. I cannot control what you think or why you think we do it. So that that's on us. And that then helps prevent us from getting caught up in trying to keep the consumer. So, you know, it's interesting because I run businesses as well. And I've learned over the years that the, nature of church and the nature of business is very different they both are redemptive they're both for the gospel in our in in our story and i think what makes something sacred isn't what it is but why and how you do it so i think business is a sacred endeavor ministry vocation is a sacred endeavor nonprofit work is a sacred endeavor parenting is a sacred endeavor or i can say the same the other way church is a secular endeavor business is a secular endeavor it's by why you're doing it and what you're or how you're doing it not what you're doing so all that said the nature though is very different at oxum i am trying to gain a consumer and keep a consumer most of our decisions there are made based on the consumer's needs because i'm not there to bring a gospel to you that's calling you into terribly hard things i'm there to make a great cup of coffee be super friendly and have you be intrigued by what we're doing that's it so yeah there it's all about consumer at church it's all about it's not about consumer it's all about what we know the gospel needs to do so it's interesting we're doing the same thing with both making the gospel beautiful but by nature we're doing it differently well it certainly has served you well and i think even just listening to you because i'm sure there are a lot of these preachers that come right out of let's say seminary and they start a church or they they are a part of a church and eventually spin off or whatever it is i think there's something special about people that have worked in both in sort of the corporate america the secular world um you know and still be able to bring a lot of that practicality but put it in in the spirit the envelope of what you're doing at the church i just i think both of those 
work extremely well and you can and you can tell just in the, the you know just in the time that we've spent here on the on the show I, I will say when I first saw your your thought um, it's funny that I was just looking at the word in the middle where you've got these two concepts spend more time living your life well than building platforms of influence where it's almost counterculture most people today would say oh no we you, you ought to do both you deserve both right live your life well yeah. but you need to build a platform of influence it's just to me it's funny because it's so when you listen to anybody today because these kids you know i say these kids the ones that want to just live their life online they want to be a professional youtuber it's all about strong brand and online presence and all that yep. i think yep. it's so interesting to look at the way that you're you're talking about it, which is focus on the relationships, the things that are most important in your life, which actually fit perfectly, I think, with our thought as well. You know, hopefully this is a great setup. We won't spend a lot of time on it because your stuff is so good. And I want to talk a little bit about Oxum and some of these other things. But Brant, we did at least pick a, uh, a thought this week. What is our thought that rocks? Thoughts that rock number two. So our thought comes from one of our favorites, Stephen Covey, and uh, the thought this week is this. Anything less than a conscious commitment to the important is an unconscious commitment to the unimportant. And I think we've sort of seen some of that and even heard some of that um Renault, in your in mm -hmm. just in your description of what you just talked about. You know, for us, uh, I, it reminds me of... Uh, you know, Nick Saban, the great uh, Alabama football coach, says if you're mm -hmm. not, if you're not coaching, you're letting it happen, right? And so, yep. um, with that same idea of controlling the intent of why you do what you do, um, you know, one of the things that that I teach uh, in all of my coaching practices is deliberate intention. And deliberate intention is very different than being intentional. Um, being intentional knows you know where the destination is, but you're not really being deliberate with every turn and twist that you make along the way. And this idea of being deliberate with your intention is what allows you to have the impact that you desire. And and Jim, coming back to what you just said, you know, I feel like if the message is worthy the influence will follow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so focus on, on delivering a message in, in action, right? Being deliberate with your intention, focus on, on bringing that message to life in your life. And, um, and you'll find that the influence will, will be not too far behind. Is that, has that been your experience, Renaud? Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting because I think two things come into play coming out of that advice that I got when I was in my mid-30s that have uh, really caused me to look at life differently. The one is what you just said, be intentional, right? So without intentional uh, living, you're going to live uh, unintentionally and randomly. There's, there's no middle ground there. But the other thing that I think comes into play, which is a requirement now in our culture, because our culture has gotten so confused with what matters, mm -hmm. is that the question becomes, what are you being intentional doing? Mm -hmm. So now the what I'm intentional about becomes just as important as being intentional, because I know a lot of people, uh, especially in the leadership spaces, that are very intentional, very committed to, for example, their career mm -hmm. or to their platform, to their brand, to their influence at the cost of their relationships with the people that matter most, oh, their yeah. spouses, their children, et cetera. So yes, you could take a leader like that. They would take that quote from Covey and say, that's my life. 
I am yeah. I am absolutely intentional. And I would say intentional doing what? Yeah. Because if you're intentional doing something that doesn't matter as much as something else at the cost of that something else, then honestly, you're intentionally screwing your life up or at least somebody else's. Mm-hmm. And so so for me, what 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 that advice that was given to me did was that it said to me, Renaud, make sure that you are sure that what you're spending your intention on is something that when you're 85, you'll look back and go, man, I'm so glad that's what I decided mattered. And so in my life, I've talked to hundreds, if not thousands of people that are in their late 60s to early 90s. So that that those decades. And I'm, I'm telling you right now, I have never to date, I've been paying attention for a decade now. I've never to date sat with anyone in that category that said this to me. You know, I just wish I'd spent less time with my family and more yeah. time at work. Yeah. <laughs> like I really, I look back now and I look at my friends who who have platforms and, and did great things. And I, and I look at my life. I was home loving my wife. My kids love me. They visit all the time. They They know me well. I just wish I'd poured more energy into my career. Never had that conversation ever. (laughs) But I have had the conversation hundreds of times over. If I could do it over, I would spend less of my energy in my career space and more of my energy in my relational spaces. So if I'm hearing that over and over again, I would be an idiot at 45 to say, I've got a great idea pour all of my intention into building platform and career and the other stuff might or might not go well, but you know, if it doesn't go well, look what I gain. Then I'm going to be the guy that's 75 or 80 going, man, I wish. So I just decided I'd rather be the guy that says, I'm glad I did rather than I wish I had. And so all that to say, yes, I think intentional living is extraordinarily important. But before you start living intentionally, make absolutely certain you have a clarity on what matters most in life so that your intentional living directs you to what matters most in life. Yeah. Well, that is literally the book that I just wrote. Yes, <laughs> for sure. We're yeah. in the same room. Brian's nodding his head the whole time you're talking. Yes. So, there you go. Uh, uh, Renaud, the, uh, my new book comes out September 29th and it is called black sheep and uh, it's uh, unleash the extraordinary awe-inspiring undiscovered you and it's about discovering what i call your black sheep values these are these the the very things you just discussed that matter most to you that no matter how much someone wants to try to influence you or change you um, they won't be moved just like a black sheep's wool it is what it is it cannot be changed and this idea of of defining what these things are allows you to live that life of deliberate intention. And, you know, when I'm, when I'm walking people through this methodology and helping them discover their flock of five, uh, that that's what the book is about. You know, we often find people put faith as one of their five non-negotiable values. And my first question to them when they do that is what does that mean? What does that mean? Because, if you're a follower of Christ, I know what that means, but what if you're not? <laughs> what if what yeah. if what if somebody means faith in a completely non-religious way? Um, and so for me, I had to really decide what are the values, what is that deliberate intention of me acting out my faith? And for me, 
that became hope, empathy, and impact, right? Those are three of my flock. And mm-hmm. so when someone says, what does faith, faith mean to you? It's, it's hope, empathy, and impact. It's making sure that I leave people with that hope and, and understand that I've walked a mile in those shoes of what it feels like. And, and um, my desire to have an impact that will be life-changing for them is what keeps me getting up every morning. And so getting people to define these things is the key to allowing them to have that deliberate intention so that they can start to live a life that is good. But until they do that, they're winging it. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah, that, that's right. That's where we get into, into trouble. And that's where, uh, unfortunately, even in the, in the church world, um, while they may be intentional of building the kingdom, they're not being deliberate with their actions <laughs> uh, yeah. to to see it yeah. actually come to fruition. And it's like a GPS, right? Uh, to me, it's you, you put in the destination, and if you say this is where I want to go, and you start to veer off the path, what does the GPS do? It starts screaming at you that mm. wait a minute, you yep. told you told me you wanted to go there, <laughs> um, but when we don't, when we don't claim that destination of where we want to be. Um, we can get so far off path before we have any idea uh, of even how to get back to where we wanted to be. And, yeah. and that's been yeah. the struggle. Yeah. And I, and I think too, you know, this is another thing that I've just discovered along the way uh, that, that helped me keep my uh, mind set on what matters most and pursuing that versus getting distracted hmm. uh, neither unintentional or intentional about the wrong things. And that's this, that I've come to conclude on this planet that we have to become more comfortable with loss. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is this, right? We all make the assumption we can have it all. That's kind of an American thing. And it's not actually a true assumption. You can't have it all. You've got to pick and choose. So what we do is this, and you said it a little earlier, and I I love that, um, you know, the, the idea of living life rather than building platform. And so what we say is I should have both. So I'm going to work at both. But what we need to start with is the assumption that we can only pick one. Yeah. Because in many ways, what we give ourselves to can only be one. It's like it's like putting two destinations into the GPS and the GPS goes, uh, yeah, no, that's, yeah. that's not going to work. Right. And I'm like, no, no, I want to go to both and I want to go to both now. Yes. And the GPS is like, you you, you literally can't do that. They, they are not the same destination. Yes. And so in, in some ways, what I have to do is this. If I'm only going to have one which one am I going to pursue? And then if I happen to get the other one in the pursuit of that one, great, wonderful. But 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 I have to be also as willing to say, I'm, I'm not going to get that one. So instead of me, because otherwise it just becomes a new strategy for the one I actually want. So right. let's take platform, for example. Let's say you walk away from this podcast and your big takeaway is, oh, if I want a really big platform, I need to live my life well for 30 <laughs> years, then I'll get a bigger platform. Yeah. Then you're actually changed nothing. Yeah. Because all you've really done is you've come up with a new strategy for the thing you actually right. want. Yeah. What you've got to say is, if I'm going to choose uh, a good life or a good platform, which one do I choose? And then I'm going to pursue that one. And if that one is all I get, I am content. So then you got to then you got to go. I, you know what? It's platform I want. I want influence and platform. Okay. Well, I hope your family and your friends and your relational dynamics also, you get that too. Great. I, I'm hopeful. But 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 really I've learned Less I've got to be willing to lose one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, um, real quick, just thinking since Brant, you were talking about deliberate intention too, and, and looking back at Covey's quote, 
Renault, with this conscious commitment to the important, with what you're doing with Oxum Coffee, now you've got several yeah. locations, and this is sort of a side note as we're we're heading toward the end here. What, what's the ultimate? What, what's the ultimate goal for you? Because and, sure. and I and I ask you in this um, this thought process that I have: what if everybody, and let's just say downtown Winter Garden. We're using that same model. What if, you know, everything they did, they they paid their expenses, they paid their staff, they paid their building lease, whatever it is, whatever profit is left, then goes back to some philanthropic initiative, some social justice cause like what you do. What sure. what would that world be like? You know, you could because you do want to grow. You you are you do have the intention, it looks like on the surface, to have more locations, to have more opportunities for people to taste that. But it's not to grow to make a ton of money, or is it to make more money so that you can give more back to the world? I just yeah. I wonder what that yeah. community would look like, because that would be an awesome model. And, and really, I think you're at the forefront of doing that. Yeah. I, you know, I think um, I have a couple of friends around the nation that have taken on this uh, concept this uh, of, of saying, uh, let's come up with a number uh, that we think we can we can live well on that number. So, whatever that maybe it's two hundred thousand a year, or maybe it's fifty thousand a year. It's just kind of you know we're going to pick a number. We have a family of this size. We we want to live in a nice neighborhood. And so so in other words, these are people that are entrepreneurial that could go make millions, and they pick a number and they say this is the number that we think for the next few years or ten years makes for us to live the, the life that we'd like to live. And then anything else that we make in our business endeavors, we have now the freedom to be able to give away. So it's not this idea of saying, you know, live a suffering life, take nothing and give everything away. It's instead of living the American life that's so typical to the Western life that says, the more I get, the more I can buy, the more stuff I can have. I mean, eventually, how many cars exactly are enough or how many houses or how many vacations? Are, and so we forget ourselves in this pursuit of more and more and more. So we buy stuff instead of stories. And and so what we did at um, Oxum is, is a, a number of years ago. So when this whole thing started, again, thinking in decades, I thought about the Oxum story in four decades. So I, I because in four decades, I, I was this was when I was 42, so five years ago, six years ago, whatever it is, um, when we when Oxum had kind of gotten started, I said, okay, in my decades of the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, I'm going to think about it that way. I'm going to turn 80, and so when I turn 80, uh, where do I want the Oxum story to be? And so in those decades, I broke it down this way: decade one, we are creating the brand and we are creating brand reputation, and we are building the story. And I hope at the end of decade one that we will have collectively made a million dollars to give away. So that nice. was the goal. And and we're, you know, we're, uh, where am I? I'm 47 now. That was technically when I was 42, but call it 47. I've got three more years to get to the place where we'll, we we need to have given a million dollars away. You should have already and been so, there as much as Brant and I have been in, but okay, keep yes, going. Yes. <laughs> we're we're traveling that way. It's good. Then the second decade, we're going to take, uh, and we're going to create brand um, uh, uh, distribution. So our plan was always decade two, we start distributing the brand. So even our multiple locations in the Orlando area have been to learn not as much as to have locations. How do we do multiple locations? Can we do them in multiple states? Can we go national? Can we go global? Because that is the plan. Um, and so decade two is brand distribution. And then in brand distribution, to hopefully be able to give a million dollars a year away for decade two. So that would be $10 million in that decade. Then decade three, 
we want um, brand power. So now we've got brand distribution, we've got brand reputation, we've created the brand, and people start knowing the brand nationally or globally as a philanthropic brand. So now decade three happens, and we want to give a million dollars a month away for a decade. So that's, I think, 360 million over that decade that we want to give away. And then decade four, when we are a global force to be reckoned with, the goal is to be the largest philanthropic um, business or movement in the Western Hemisphere. Wow. So what we want to do there is fourth decade, global company, we want to give, we want to make in profits and therefore give away a million dollars a day for a decade. So that would be 3.6 billion, I think, for that decade that we want to give away. So it all sounds crazy, like, oh my gosh. But (laughs) if you think about companies today, companies like Starbucks or Apple or Walmart or these big boys, I mean, their profit per year is more than that. So in other words, if they were giving their profit away, they'd actually be giving more than the numbers I just put on the table for our fourth decade. And that's now. In four decades from now, it should be a cakewalk to give that kind of money away. Now, obviously, that, you know, we laugh a bit at that. That is a big dream. In other words, what I'm saying is we're working at building a company that will be one of the top 20 companies in the world, right? Now, will I realize that? I don't know. I have no idea. But that is something worth pursuing. And as long as I'm not pursuing it with a value system that says, if I don't attain it, I have failed, then I won't make that the most important thing in my life. Mm-hmm. I'll just say, man, I, I get to try to make a business do that. And I get to try to see a church do that. And I get to see a nonprofit do that. Because the goal ultimately is that the church would produce humans that have a missional mindset that have laid down their future dreams for the sake of the kingdom of God. Not Again, not suffering, just saying, God, what do you want me to do? Adopt, uh, be in my workplace, be in my school, go to a mission field? What is it? Then the nonprofit, Love Made Visible, the, the global platform, which we can move people into global environments, uh, caring for children from hard places. And then the Oxum story being the fuel from a resource standpoint, mm-hmm. funding this movement. So I've got disciples or missional people i've got platform to uh to move around the globe and i've got money and so again all of that may end up being a million dollars over 40 years that we give away yeah well then it's a million dollars over 40 years if it's 3.6 billion well then it'll be 3.6 billion but i'm going to wake up in the morning and i'm going to try because there are unredeemed spaces in the world that need redeeming and i've been given the privilege to participate in that so i'm going to go try I love it. So that's the plan with Oxum in general. Yeah, you know, and we I, are. I wish there know, were more we're, companies we're that were, out of the first decade. Well, I, I, you know, now at this point, it just feels like you've had a, a this decade underneath your belt. I, I guess part of the question, I, I wonder if there are people that are next to you looking at that model, going, "Oh yeah, it can be done." Like it's not, yeah. it, it, yeah. you know, being a capitalist. And being a philanthropist and and whatever else too, you know, I'm sure you're not into titles, but I think people could look at that from a secular standpoint and go, "Wow, the brand is growing. There's money to be made, and if you have any inkling in your heart to help out the world, whether that's local or global or whatever, the more money that you make, the more that you can give to other people. And and why not do that versus you out there trying to slog it out and think, "Geez, I would love to have a a, a chain. I'd love to franchise the business." They I just think you're going about it the right way, and it's 
it's really admirable. And again, I, I hope that a lot of people really do go look at the show notes because your story and the things you work on are just uh, amazing. And maybe, you know, this is a good way to sort of wrap up, Renaud, where, two things, where can people stay connected to you and learn more about what you're doing, but also what's next for you? I, I, I think you've got a new project that's on the horizon too. What, what, uh, real quick, what is that? Yeah. So, um, you know, there's a couple of ways, obviously the normal social media spaces, um, that you can jump into. Um, but, uh, you know, the mosaic story, this is mosaic.org uh, is, is going to be tied to this story. Um, the Oxum story, oxumcoffee.com, uh, is going to be tied to this. Um, the love made visible story, lovemadevisible.com is, going to be tied to that certainly um i am working on something that we will release sometime in the fall i have a book coming out in the fall as well that's nice. what great leaders uh get right it's 24 competencies in uh leader ministry leadership that will keep you from uh, nose diving and burning out and so uh that's coming out in the fall and when that comes out uh we are launching a website uh that will be the, uh, um, I think it's therestory.com or restory.com. I can confirm that with you later. But um, we, we're really looking at asking the question, how does the redemptive message that came out of uh, Scripture and out of the life of Jesus, how does it restory us? And then how does it restory the things around us? And, and so playing off of the idea of restoring something, uh, but to actually restory, like the word story. Mm -hmm. So there's a story, and and the gospel restories it. And so we're going to be doing a lot of we've we've done a lot of content creation over the last year, uh, from blogs to videos and things that will be released onto that platform. And again, uh, just in terms of what I'm learning along the way as a dad, as a husband, as a pastor, as a business uh, leader, as a nonprofit leader in a community, I'm going to try to just put all that into that platform and. What's helpful is helpful. What's not helpful is not helpful. And we'll see what happens. Well, we love it. And we will absolutely help push that out for you. And we'll put a white hot spotlight on uh, all the things that you're doing, as we said on the podcast. But when that time comes and we see the restory coming out, we'll, uh, we'll help move that for you. We just... We're really, really um, excited about all the things you're working on. And again, just thankful that you spend a little bit of time with us, man. It's very, very inspiring. Well, it's been great to be with you guys. And love what you guys are up to. So can't wait to see how we all together uh, play a part in changing the world and making it a better place. Oh, you're doing it already. Well, we can't thank you enough, brother. Thank you so much. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Thanks for now. Thanks. All right. Rock on. Hey, rock stars. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe so you don't ever miss an episode. Yeah. And if you're interested in having Brant or me or both of us speak at your event, whether as a webinar for a virtual event or in person as a conference keynote, contact us directly at thoughtsthatrock.com. Until next time, rock, rock on! on.